construction. An industry ripe for disruption. An industry whose problems can be traced back to one thing, cash flow. This show challenges the slow payment culture in construction. We'll show you how you can get paid faster, improve your cash flow, and create more wealth through efficient management of your cash. The faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows. This is the Construction Cash Flow Show. And here is your host, Stuart Davidson. Hello there, Stuart Davidson here, your friendly QS. Now, I've put together a seven-part video series called The Construction Starter. Now, this is a series of short videos to give you some inspiration, an idea, a plan and a strategy to move forward in this, that's something that you can start now in the shutdown, in the uh, in the closed down period relating to the coronavirus and also be useful to you as a business as you come out. Now, this these videos are for freelance professionals, for tradespeople, directors that are running small companies and just gives you an idea around your business how you can pick things up again and go forward. So from this training, what you'll get is some ideas around sales, marketing and systems, marketing in particular, how you can qualify yourself through marketing, through training, how you can do training videos, put training videos online and help your clients know a bit more about you through training, agreements, how you can look at the agreements you've already got and future agreements, particularly around standstill agreements, remuneration, payments and cash flow, what you can do in terms of improving your cash flow, transformation, where is the business going in the future? How is it going to transform? What do you need to do in your business to get it ready for the next stage? Essence. Essence is all about your essence and your business essence, what your values are and how to find your values and how you can align those values with your clients' values to get a good fit. And how you can get results. So I talk about finally how you can get results, things you can do to put in place to get results in your business right here, right now, that can get you through this crisis and get you out the other side. This is Stuart Davidson, your friendly QS. Hope you enjoy the series. Good morning, this is Stuart Davidson here, your friendly QS. Hope you're all well and safe and keeping indoors. The reason I wanted to come on to this live was talking about a little plan I've put together that you can think about and start to put these elements in place when you're thinking about starting your projects again, if you're a contractor or developer or a subcontractor. And it's called the Starter Programme, which is quite apt because we're all going to be looking to start up again. And the first part of that, the S, is Sales and Marketing. Now, you might be thinking, if I'm a contractor, what has sales and marketing got to do with me getting new work, getting new tenders. Now, over the years as a QS, I've procured the services of many, many contractors from large contractors, BAM and Keir and Morgan Sindel and those kind of uh, uh, contractors, right the way through to, to smaller, medium-sized contractors and subcontractors. So as a PQS, my job is to help developers and employers employ the right contractor at the right time for the right price and the right quality. And there's all different methods that we've used in the past. There's uh, deciding on price, there's deciding on price, quality, 
um, the team they've got, the experience they've got. And quite often, if it's a large project and we're looking at some con- some quite complex tenders from large contractors, we'll get a whole design team around the table and we'll have sophisticated scoring systems. We'll be looking at all aspects of the project, the method statements, uh, the projects that they've been on, their relevant experience, the experience of the team. And we'll all sit around the table with the client and we'll go through them in a lot of detail. And, you know, sometimes we've gone through and we've done the scoring system and contractor A comes out with the best score and we look around the table and we go, yeah, but I think contractor C is really the one that's going to be best for this job. You know, so it's not an easy task, really, for an employer to choose a contractor necessarily. Now, in my experience, contractors, it's horses for courses. If you've got a particular type of project, you want a particular type of contractor. For example... I would, if I had a commercial fit out, I wouldn't be looking for a general contractor specifically because they're completely different type of project. And I've got contractors that I would go out to if I wanted a commercial fit out done. It's a completely different animal. If I want a house built, there's another set of contractors that I would go out to. Now, quite often what I see with contractors is that they market themselves as they can do anything really. You know, whatever, they'll tender for all different types of project, where it's a commercial fit out, where it's a new build, it's a refurbishment, it's a hospital project, it's an education project, etc., etc. So they'll put themselves forward as, yeah, we can do that, we can do that, we can do that. And uh, sometimes clients, when clients are looking for a contractor, they're wanting to niche down. Who's the specialist in this area? Who's the one that's going to be best for my job? And quite often... There'll be contractors. One of the jobs we have and the difficult things is when we have a project, uh, we need to put a, a, a tender list together for contractors. And quite often at the time we want to do the tender, we're struggling to find the right contractors to put on the list. And then quite often we'll have the contractors on the list that perhaps we don't know. We've got to get to know. We don't know what the track record's like. We're, we're taking up references, of course. But quite often it will come down to the people sitting across the table to you, uh, whether you like them, whether you can work with them. And I've been with clients before and after an interview with a, a contractor and they've said, you know, they've got a good track record. You know, their they, pricing's quite good, but I'm not sure that I can work with these guys. Or they might say, do you know what? I want these on the job. I can work with these. And I have actually been on a project uh, interviewing tenderers where contractors got as far as a pre-contract interview, right? He's, he's down to the preferred con- preferred tenderer. We've sat around the table and they've gone out of the room and the client's gone, I don't want them on my job. I don't like their attitude. I don't, I don't think I can work with them. Uh, we're not going to head. So why sales and marketing? <clears throat> Things about sales and marketing, and I don't think contractors do this enough, is to market what you do, to understand your your preferred, your, your, your dream client, if you like, your niche client, understand their business, and then niche down in terms of what you do, and put yourself out there, do a lot more marketing, do a lot more on social media, so that clients know, like, and trust you. Put out there what you do, um, communicate the types of teams you do, the kind of contracts you do, the availability you've got, and really get to a position where, where clients kind of already know you before they invite you to tender. 
And so really, marketing is about a selection process. So you're selecting down your two ways. One is you're selecting down your 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 client so that you're pre-selecting through your marketing the type of clients that you want to work with. But also clients can see you and look at the type of contracts that contractors that they'd like to work with so it's all part of a familiarity getting yourself known because some contractors are very good contractors but clients don't know them so i would suggest that first thing you can do particularly in the downtime now is think about your business think about what your client avatar is what type of niche contract projects you want to get involved in what is the market likely to be like coming out of this and it might be that you've got projects that you're already doing that have come to a standstill. Now, I would hazard a guess that even if you've been on a project for a while and it's come to a standstill, put putting the contract issues aside for a minute, that I I would be advising my clients to re-pre-qualify their contractor because there's a lot of water under the bridge. Are they still in the position? Have they still been able to retain their the staff that was working on my project? Are they in the same financial situation as they were before? So I'm kind of going to be saying to my my clients, let's 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 see what condition they're in. Let's see if they need any help, or are they still in a position where they can complete the project? So at this point in time, you still want to be pre-qualifying yourself, thinking about uh, you know just letting the client know. Um, or even if you're niching down. So think about the type of projects that you're good at. What are you as a contractor amazing at? And then start to advertise. It might be that you're really good at refurb work. It might be that you're very good at new build work. You know, it might be that there's certain aspects of that work. It might be that you're very fast at doing things. It might be that you're good good at the quality side or the project management side. So these are the things that you want to home in on a niche and then look for your clients to see what clients are doing the things that you're amazing at, you know, and and this is the kind of approach that you want to take your clients, contact potential clients even before they've got a project to say, look, you know, ask them a question around what their challenges are and what their future project pipeline is around the things that you're amazing at, the things that you're good at as a contractor. So sales and marketing. So marketing is a process of selection, about building up trust, building up those relationships. And you never know, you might be able to get some projects without even tendering. You know, you might be saying, okay, this is what we're good at. It's commercial fit out. You know a client or a developer, that's their specialist niche, commercial fit out, so that's what they're looking at. And you might be saying, look, this is our track record we don't do anything else. This is what we do. This is what we're amazing at. These are our people. And at the moment, these are the offers that we can do. We're doing a special offer on certain aspects of the project. Anything that uh, might be beneficial to your client to get you in the door. So in the past, it's all been around competitive tendering. That would probably still carry on. But having said that, we can, as a quantity surveying practice, we can test your your tender, your project we could do negotiation we know what things cost and we know what's in the market there so for a client you know it might be beneficial for them if they know like and trust you and they say really this is the guy these are the people that i want on my project i'm not particularly interested in going out to tender but 
I do want to make sure that I'm getting value for money and that's where we can come in to give the client to test what you're offering and we can say to the client, look, you know, even if you went out to tender, this is good value. These are, the, these are specialists. They've got a team available now because that's one of the big things for a client. Can we get the right contractor in the right place at the right time for our project? An amount of times as a QS, you know, we've had a client that, that wants to put tender lists together and we, we say, right, these are the best contractors, but then you contact them and they're all busy, you know? So part of your, your marketing strategy is to inform clients when you're going to be available for work, what resources you've got. And again, if you're a client, you know, if you're a developer, your marketing strategy might be uh, to, to put out there, these are the type of projects we do. This is the type of contractors that we like to work with. We like to work with people that are specialist in this area. These are the key things that are important to us. These are the key risks that we like our contractors to address for us. So I think an ongoing pre-qualification through marketing is just adds weight to uh, and in fact, in many ways, is better than a pre-qualification questionnaire. Now, we've all done them. We've all gone through them. And quite often you send your pre-qualification questionnaire and you get it back. And you're still saying, well, any one of these guys could do the project just on price now. But if you're pre-qualifying, if you're building up that relationship, you know, it might be that a client's happier to pay you a little bit more to get what he wants. At the end of the day, we want risk-free, hassle-free projects. And quite often, the industry puts its supply chains in a difficult situation in terms of demanding tendered competitive prices where the margins are not there. So it's the low profit margins. It's low working capital. And we'll get on to the low working capital and cash flow on a later part of the starter program under remuneration in a couple of days' time. But low working capital and cash flow is one of the biggest issues in construction and the biggest problems. And I would hazard to say that it's one of the causes of delays, disruptions, disputes. But there's a deeper level. So sales and marketing. And it's something you can start now. It's something you can start putting your services, your products out there. If you're a contractor, do you have a podcast? Have you written about what you do? Are you teaching what you do as well as doing what you do and these are all things that are going to raise your profile as a contractor there's going to be opportunities out there and you might want to think about okay how do we get things started up again uh, it might be that your financial situation has changed it might be that you haven't put you haven't quite got the resource that you need or the client wants and have you thought about this and we'll cover this in in a bit more detail later on in another section of this starter program but could you JV with another contractor? Have you got something you're amazing at, a specialist part of a project? Has another contractor that in, in traditionally you might see as a competitor, but are there things that they do that they're amazing at that jointly joined up as a joint venture, you could offer that service to a potential client as part of your marketing of a particular service? So I would say sales and marketing is something you can start now. It can something that you can start to talk about your staff about. Can you start to put more information out there on social media, on LinkedIn? Can you do 
uh, online courses around what you do. One thing that's very popular, particularly with trades, is uh, teaching and showing what we do in a video, how we interface with other trades, how we interface with other elements of the building, how we manage change. So sales and marketing uh, can be very, very good and a very, very useful thing to do at the moment. And it's a very good way of pre-qualifying yourselves for your next project because there's going to be a lot of competition out there and in, in very shortly when things start to pick up again, we come out of lock, lockdown. So are you the one that the clients are going to know, like and trust and want to speak to? So get on with your marketing, get on with your sales. This is Stuart Davidson, your friendly QS, logging out and I'll see you in the next video. Have a good day. Good morning, this is Stuart Davidson here, your friendly QS. And this week I'm talking about a programme that I've put together called the Starter Programme. And we're all going to be thinking about how we're going to restart after the lockdown. And you can start it now. It's not about waiting for two or three months time. So the starter program is an acrostic. So yesterday I talked about S and sales and how you can use sales and marketing, your marketing programs to kind of pre-qualify yourself. So we and I represent clients in terms of procuring construction work and have done that for many years. And it's quite a challenge to get the right contract at the right time in the right place and to know the contractor well. And so we talked about, I talked about yesterday how marketing can pre-qualify you if you do that on a regular basis. Today, I wanted to look at training and how we might use training to develop what we do, training ourselves, improve our training. And also we talked about, I talked to you a bit yesterday about finding your niche the niche in terms of what you're amazing at and your target client and you know because i think in construction a lot of companies are too broad and general so yeah we can do this or this construction or that construction but if you niche down and identify your key client you know are there things that you can do that is going to be useful to that client in terms of training so we're at t training so can you teach your client something about what you do your target client, can you put a training program together in terms of not just doing what you do, uh, but teaching what you do. And I think this is a great opportunity during this lockdown period where it's a quiet period that you might be able to put some webinars or some training together that gives you an opportunity to get out there, promote yourself, build relationships with your niche client area. And um, yeah, so to really think about you, so you might not put training together or done much training for your clients or, uh, you know, quite often we think about training our employees, which is something most most companies do uh, naturally. But, you know, thinking about what is it I could teach my target audience, my target clients about what we do, you know, the things that are amazing. At. Could you teach or inform your clients around you know, if you're a contractor or you're a subcontractor, say, for example, you're a bricklaying contractor, are there things that you can put out there or trainings that you can put together? What is the best way to appoint a bricklaying contractor? What is the best way to administer a bricklaying contract? What are the things that are important to us in terms of how we get paid? 
for example, we might get paid by, by the lift as opposed to percentage overall complete. The intricacies around putting uh, brick sundries in, so the, the wall ties, the cavity barriers, there's lots and lots of things in brickwork that initially sounds, you know, brickwork sounds like brickwork, but there's a lot involved in brickwork that maybe clients or architects would be really, really interested to know about. The way that you install things, the way you install wall ties, fire socks, how you work around window openings, what's the best sequencing around window formers. Is it best for you to put them in? Is it best for the, uh, the window manufacturer, the window installers to put it in? So there's so many things that you could do as part of your training, something that comes naturally to you in your business, that you could put a training together. And I think, you know, for me as a QS, I'd be really interested in that sort of thing. So if you're a contractor, this is the way we normally sequence works on this type of project. That would be interesting to me as a quantity surveyor, because rates against quantities are only those rates when the work is done in a certain sequence. If you change the sequence of the work or the logistics of the work, uh, those con those rates and quantities will, will change and they'll mean something quite different. So, you know, could you do a training around around that, around sequencing? What are the, the do's and don'ts of sequencing? What things could quite easily get out of sequence? What things that you really do need to get into sequence? How do you get the right materials in the right time and the right labour on site? Could you do a training around what labours we want, what different types of trade we want on site at the same time. So there might be certain uh, activities that need a little bit of interface and a little bit of to and fro in. Or do you need to pay for a, a plumber to be on site for a couple of days, even if he's finished his works, because he might be needed before you you, you complete the, the, the first fix on another trade, like the electrical works, he might be needed. Uh, to move something. So it might be easier to keep him on site for a day rather than say he's finished, he leaves site and then get him back later to, to make an adjustment or something. So there's all of those technical things that are really, really interesting. And, and, and I think for architects, for QSs, for clients, those sorts of things would be really interested to put in the training program. I know with us, we're starting to think about now how we could put training together where clients can do certain things that we would have done in the past for them, teach them and train them how they might be able to do it themselves, give them more value, you know, build that relationship up. So when things start to get busy again, you know, they might think, well, you know, they will we'll go to we'll go to them for, for, for some support. We'll go for them for QS work, you know, because they've they've put some value and some training together. And quite often what you find, people think, oh, why should I train people to do what we do because the competitors are going to do it or, or the clients are going to do it we'll have less work but what you quite often find is if you try if you put the training out there or you try you're teaching people like clients to to do some of the things you do uh, or understand more about what you do you, you tend to find that it informs them and they're better informed in how to appoint you but quite often their focus their core fee generating, earning generating, income generating tasks are different. So it's quite likely that they'll you'll, they'll know how to do it and they'll know when to ask for it, but they they quite often won't do it themselves. They'll come to you to do it because they'll be focused, their key, um, key focus is on something else. So they're more likely to come to you than to go to someone else. 
as a philosophy behind it. And I think the other thing is, is if you're training and teaching, you're learning yourself. And, you know, that's one of the ways in which to cement the training in your own mind and your own self-development is teach others what you know. And then you can move on and move on uh, to other things and look at how you can better serve your clients. So I think training is key. Training is key about your for your own self-development, for your own business, to how can we train others, teach others how to do what we do. And I think that also raises your profile. It helps you in terms of your marketing. So I think when times are quite like this, I know it's a new skill set in terms, and it is for us, you know, for me, um, to put training sessions together, but it's something we're really thinking about doing. It's, 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 um, Whilst we, you know, the work is quiet, what can we do to add value? What can we do to keep going? So training is a key thing from the start of program, and these are all things. There's an upside and downside to everything, you know. And we know about the downsides of the current pandemic and the coronavirus. Uh, we've only got to turn the telly on, look at the news, and we get the downside. Get the downside all the time. But there's also an upside of things, and when things like this happen when a crisis happens sometimes it take it brings out the best in you maybe it uh, it gives you an opportunity to look at your business to see what's working what's not working gives you an opportunity to pivot do we need to change the business times are changing you know what can we look at now can we start a new business or do we improve our own business um, I know for me I uh, you know I'm I our background is quantity surveying. My business is quantity surveying. We're still working and providing clients with advice, particularly in this time where they're asking us, okay, what do we do next? We're at a standstill or we're looking, what do we do when we start up again? How do we draw a line in the sand? So we're helping our clients with that now. But also last week, I set up a new business around something that I might we might be able to support clients with later on. Um, that business is around how we can support our clients if it becomes difficult to uh, borrow money or refinance or get um, development finance. We're looking more at how can we offer support for them and looking at lease options and assignable lease options for people that perhaps can't get mortgages uh, now, but they might be able to later on. So there's all those sorts of strategies that could be flexible in the time coming out of the crisis when cash might be tight, but we still want to do deals. We might want to do deals uh, in contract with uh, with clients in the future. So I've been looking a lot at lease options and assignable lease options. And I think these will be something that we can use and we can advise and we can support uh, clients, commercial clients, residential clients, residential landlords, these kind of people you know, that we could uh, help them through this stage using the expertise we have, particularly on developments. It's something that options have been used for a long time on, on developments. And I think that's something that we could use more. Something we're doing as well, we're looking at uh, supporting our clients with cash flow issues and how we're going to pick up and how we're going to pick up the cash flow. So we're looking at a direct lender to supply chain payment system. And that's whereby Payments are made through the contracts in the normal, uh, well, certification and valuations are made in the in the normal way through the contract. But what happens there to support cash flow for the supply chain, the contractor, and ensure the money stays within the project is that we would manage those payments separately, direct from the lender or the funding source, and the 
and the contractors pass down a promise to pay. And once that promise is received, then the payment gets paid. So, and you can start from the bottom up. So you can start to pay for the raw materials, the suppliers, the sub-subcontractors up to the contract. Pay that, pay it up in, in the opposite direction. So the uh, promises come down the line and the payments go up the line. And it's just a way that we can support the startup of these projects uh, in the future. Uh, because there'll be so many demands on cash uh, you know, particularly on operational costs as we're starting up. So it's just the way that we've been looking at that we can support our clients in managing that cash flow through the supply chain. And I think that helps a client, it helps a contractor, and it helps the subcontractors. So it's one thing that we've been looking at. And we'll be looking at trainings for that to help them to do it. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be us to do it, but we'll be we'll be looking at the, the the intricacies and I'll look at that a bit more when we get to remuneration in the next bit I'll be looking I'll be talking more about how we can manage our cash flow starting our projects back up so that's training so there's lots of opportunities so get out there start your marketing start putting yourself out there start building the relationships with your niche clients start thinking about how we can train what we do as well as do what we do so there's the first two the s and the t and so I'll be working through these, uh, the starter system through throughout this week that we can, um, you know, hopefully have a plan, put a plan together. You Hopefully it'd be helpful for you to, to use within your business plan, because I think a lot of us are going to be adjusting our business plan. So tomorrow I'm going to be talking about agreement. So the contract side of where we are with the contracts. So now, there's been a lot of lot talked about, uh, particularly lawyers around the adequacy of contracts. And there's a lot of information about that. So I'll be touching upon that, but maybe bringing another angle to it as well. That's on agreements and on contracts tomorrow. So I hope this has been useful. And uh, so I hope you have a lovely day today. Keep safe, keep well, get on with your marketing, get on with setting up your training courses and start thinking about how you're going to pivot and how you're going to come out of this and thrive from this rather than um, see it as a, as a complete a complete negative. So I hope you're staying well. This is Stuart Davidson, your friendly QS, signing off. Have a great day. Speak to you tomorrow. Good morning. This is Stuart Davidson, your friendly QS. And this week I've been talking about what we can do to, for you as a business if you're a contractor or a subcontractor to make yourself more available, more desirable, more recognisable to a client. So we represent, as a practice, we represent clients and developers, etc. And really it's around uh, what we do and how we find our uh, contractors for clients, etc. and procure the works. And I've been talking about what you can do and I've set to get, put together this system, which is a starter system. What you can do now to start to put yourself head of the game and in front of clients going forward. And also how you can, even in this difficult time of this COVID uh, virus, uh, how you can begin to uh, strive forward and thrive coming out of this as well. So the system was a starter system and we talked about S, which is for sales and marketing, and how you can use your marketing to pre-qualify the projects and the clients that you want to work with. How you can use training to develop relationships with clients and inform clients of how you work 
and how you can start to look at systems internally and training internally and how that links to your sales and marketing and your uh, relationship with clients. So today we're on A and that's agreement. So this is going to be quite an interesting one because a lot of agreements are up in the air at the moment and it's uh, quite a difficult time. I mean, even when you search and you speak to lawyers, etc., etc., they'll pinpoint certain key pinch areas. But the thing is, it's all going to depend on what your particular contract is on your project. What contract are you contracting under? Are you under a traditional contract? Are you under a construction management contract? Are you contracted direct with a client? Are you on a prime cost contract? What, are there any amendments to those? So there's lots and lots of different variables on each project. But the key, the ones that come in out is force majeure. As a, as a client, or has your client got right to suspend the works? Is he going to give you an extension of time? Can, can the contract be terminated? And these are all kind of things that may or may not be in your contract. But sometimes there's a high bar on trying to... Um, if you're one party looking at a termination, there's a high bar on that. So that can be quite difficult. The force majeure issue on relevant events can be quite difficult, particularly if it's not is not defined in detail. And payments as well. You know, there's um, payment clauses. And are you being paid? Have you drawn a line in the sand? There's some lawyers that are talking about different remedies under different uh, clauses. And there's some lawyers that are saying, well, let's just let it lie and it's got to be a standstill. Let's interpret it as a standstill and everything kind of shifts forward and then we start from there. So there's lots and lots of different things we can think about. One of the things I think is probably important, though, is that you issue notices under your contracts. They're issued in the right manner so that you've got those in place. Put a marker down. And issue the notice in accordance with your contract. Some notices can be on email. Some need to go to head office. But just put a marker down. It's not that we'll know the outcome of a notice if it's a, under a relevant event, etc., etc. But I would put it down as without um, be you know as a, a confidential in privity, really, in in terms of uh, confidential discussions around what you're putting in there. One of the things you can do, and if you're a developer or client, is getting your team together and consider something around a standstill agreement, which would be a separate agreement that sets out, it kind of will give you a blocking time to think about how you might work with your supply chain or your contractor in agreeing the way forward. So it's got to be an agreement to agree a way forward. So uh, that might give you time. So within that agreement, you could probably set out. Uh, you could set out whether it's what parts are legally binding, what are not legally binding, and whether you uh, you look at different ways of setting up and moving forward. A standstill agreement is particularly important if you've got disputes going on at the moment, particularly if disputes are coming to the end of a limitation period. So a standstill agreement might get you that extra time to agree that. One of the key elements in there as well is are we, you know, everyone's going to be pressurised in terms of uh, cash flow, etc. So within that uh, a standstill agreement, you might look at, you know, uh, an ongoing monitoring and assessment of 
the of your contractors or your ability or your employer's ability to continue and start up the project. Um, if you're looking at something around, some sometimes it might be better in certain instances to terminate an agreement, but that needs to be a mutual consent because it's very, very difficult to uh, bring that to fruition if it's one party going for the termination over the other party. So you can do certain mutual agreements within a standstill agreement. If you do agree by mutual agreement to terminate for the time being and because it's moved on so far, and the contract terms might might want to be different in the future, you could do a termination with a uh, MOU or a memorandum of agreement of understanding that you will start up again and renegotiate a new contract in the future. So there's lots of kind of things you can do, but I think the main important things around agreements is to... Is, is to is communication and keep things going and keep and and keep talking keep talking between the parties and if you can do an agreement i would all, always recommend you get a an expert some expertise uh, a solicitor to a, that's an expert in that field to put something together for you but it could be a collaborative way of dealing with a stand down stand down period going forward so nobody really knows there's a lot of uncertainty around how these contracts are going to work under the circumstances because you've got the government on one hand talking about sites should stay open uh, but that's not necessarily practicable that means that it brings uncertainty around certain contract clauses so the only real way around this is to come to mutual agreements now it might be that you've got ongoing disputes or you've got uh, you know there are commercial pressures on each of the parties so one of the things you might want to consider uh, being that you might have well one of the remedies in a in a contract could be adjudication and adjudication uh, is meant to be there as a, as a quick remedy although it's not always as as quick as um, the contract makes out it should be but in this time of this downtime Adjudicators are going to be under a lot of pressure. Are they still operating? Are you going to get your adjudicators adjudication sorted out? They're more expensive. They involve more parties, lawyers on both sides, expert witness on both sides. So one thing you might want to consider, if you have got parts of an agreement or a standstill agreement that you're not, uh, you can't come to agreement on, is maybe appointing a mediator or looking at mediation. Now the good thing about mediation is that the documents, etc., issued to a mediator is private and confidential, and that evidence, that information, can't be used in evidence in another court later, apart from a final solution or a final agreement. But mediation might be a quick and economic way of uh, coming to a solution and you can agree uh, that the, the, the cost of the mediator could be shared. So that's one thing that you could do. You might want to also look at, in this downtime, you know, things around insurances, bonds, these kind of things. I, I, have you got some cover there? Uh, you might want to look at instigating additional credit support for the supply chain finance uh, if you're a developer you might be looking at refinancing the scheme so there's lots of different things that you can do and there will be things that are going to affect your supply chain it might be that some uh, traditional 
contracts and many traditional contracts actually give ownership this passes ownership of supply chain from the client to the contractor now it might be in a standstill agreement you could look at that you could look at your uh, your contractor's status at this particular time and it might be that the payment process might change from uh, paying a contractor and then uh, putting that responsibility of, the, uh, of payment of the supply chain onto the contractor it might be that you want to introduce something around uh, direct investor to uh, supply chain payments coming out of this You'll also want to look in the stand in a standstill agreement around the costs of demobilisation, the cost of remobilisation. You know, so all of these things can be talked about and set at one side to either standstill your contract and then start up again. It might be talking around how you issue an extension of time. Now, an extension of time, we just don't know how long this is going to carry on for, so we're not quite sure how where we're going to pick up some some. Employers might decide to put a date, at least contract's not at large and time's not at large, and the the contract is there, and that can be adjusted at a later date. But certainly talking about agreements at this point in time is a good thing. I mean, you can use Skype and VoIP and email still, you know, to, to thrash something. Uh, Zoom, a Zoom meeting, organise a Zoom meeting with your supply chain or with your contractor, your employer and really talk around how you're going to go forward, start planning. And I think after this, there'll be changes to contracts. Of course there will, you know, but while we're in the middle of this, um, you know, it's a matter of really being practicable, having things, having agreements in place. And this might be a side agreement, a standstill agreement, get legal advice on it. You know, it shouldn't cost a huge amount of money, share the cost. And, um, if you need to get a mediator, get a mediator, you know, but certainly plans need to be put in place. And I think it needs to be something more of an open book than we've been used to. And it might be a solution that covers costs and profit might be dealt with in another way. There are other ways of doing things like uh, integrated project delivery systems and alliance type agreements that could be put in place where the uh, you can ring fence uh, profit. Everyone's getting paid net and open book uh, in the interim. So there's lots and lots of creative ways you can look at starting up again. There might be equitable agreements. As I mentioned, insurance and insurance bonds that might be uh, applicable at this particular time. So again, lots of things that uh, you can look at, but certainly get an agree get some kind of agreement in place rather than letting things drift rather than letting contracts become at large. And you can have, um, yeah, you can decide what parts of your agreement are legally binding, which are not legally binding. If it's to be confidential, what's the status of that agreement? And there are set ways of, of doing that and setting those out. And it's something that we we can support with and something I've been talking to our legal advisors on. And, uh, you know, I think probably the I, I get the sense that the um, the majority of thought at the moment is leaning towards a kind of mediation, uh, consensual agreement approach. But there will be those that want to test 
these the principles it out in court of course there will be those uh, that want to do that but i think for the majority of cases uh, a practicable uh, agreement would probably be the best best route so i would start planning and seeking advice at this point in time certainly carrying out up in your game in terms of your sales and marketing if you're in construction is something that sometimes companies tend to put to one side when uh, when there's a, a quiet period or the, when there's um, cash flow issues but it's one thing that you really want to be stepping up identifying your uh, ideal clients and the niche market that you're working in and looking how you can pre-qualify those clients and then make the agreements more suitable to you Um, if you're just starting out a contract or if you've got a contract waiting to start I think it's a good time to check your contract terms make sure there's nothing in there that's going to be too much of a risk or things that are ambiguous uh, relating to the current situation so yeah so my my real thoughts on it is to keep communication going see if you can get the heads of terms for a a standstill agreement or a mutual agreement how you're going to progress the project or how you're going to start the project up again the an agreement that sets out the status of your existing contract and other side agreements that uh, that you might want to put in place so heads of terms a good lawyer solicitor or contract advisor could help you with setting up those terms heads of terms from an agreement which what's the status of them which parts are legally binding which are not what's the confidentiality uh, status of that particular agreement would you want to get a mediator uh, to be involved on monitoring and if for example it's gone you know we're going on and on and uh, over the months and uh, things are not changing people's finances company finances are under pressure you know there might be uh, options to preempt before I know there's a lot of talk about insolvency laws and changes to that and directors responsibilities and it's all up in the air at the moment but certainly uh, you could look at uh, the possibility of a standstill period for an accountant liquidator to actually monitor the situation whilst directors, if it's got to that point where things are uh, gone from bad to worse and, and uh, there's an insolvency issue, but rather than actually going insolvent, can you work together maybe to get the... Um, the input from an accountant from an insolvency accountant not to not to uh, in the traditional sense of liquidation but could you introduce a okay we're going to have a before we start up again we're going to have a one month monitoring period with an accountant with a with someone with those uh, skills to work on behalf of both parties to keep things going to see what we can do to keep the contract solvent and uh, maybe it might be around what assets can we liquidate to keep things going. Uh, we can keep directors in control. So it's really in terms of using their skills and expertise and insolvency practitioner to keep things going rather than winding things up, you know, because they're usually associated with winding uh, companies up and distributing, protecting creditors. And of course, that's still the case. But I think maybe it might be an idea if things have gone that far maybe get them involved beforehand to see what can be done to keep 
the uh, keep project solvent because their skill sets uh, could be very very valuable at this particular time so these are sort of things that you can do in agreements and contract agreements so i hope this has been helpful one other thing you could do is follow the uh, advice on the google and internet particularly in the um, construction leadership council if you look up construction leadership council they've got the latest updates and thinking from a public sector perspective they've issued some procurement notes as well which is useful to look at and um yeah so i think right you know i think i would take this opportunity to you know start to think about your business your sales and marketing what can you do what training can you put online that's the s and the t the sales and the training and the agreements you know start to think about what you can do to come to an amicable agreement who you can get around you the team you can get around you so it could be a mediator it could be an insolvency practitioner for prevention employed by both parties to prevent insolvency rather than mop up after insolvency because their skills are invaluable can you get a uh, quantity surveyors involved chartered surveyors involved to draw a line in the sand to look at the interpretation of the contracts can you set out in a side agreement the status of the existing contract and the standstill contract what the privacy notices what the privacy and confidentiality on those are how you're going to uh, start the the uh, project back up again do you need to look at refinancing can you look at supply chain uh, funding can you look at switching the responsibility for payment from the contractor to uh, the client and a direct investor to supply chain payments so there's lots of different things that you can look at and be creative with and come to an agreement draft up a heads of terms draft up an agreement at least you're not going to get a contract at large which puts you in a more difficult position because you'll end up having heads of terms agreed in court, which will be a lot more expensive. So if you can do it by mutual agreement now, get the right people and team around you, maybe that's something that you can look at. So hopefully there's some things to think about. Always get uh, legal advice on your contracts because there is a bit of a minefield at the moment. But try and look at a way in which you can mutually agree between the parties and then get that reviewed, get that in place so that it gives you the best chance of restarting after this um, this shutdown period. So this is Stuart Davidson, your friendly QS. Hope that's been helpful. Have a great day. Keep safe and I'll see you in the next video. Good morning, this is Stuart Davidson, your friendly QS, and it's a very happy, sunny Easter bank holiday Sunday, and uh, I thought I'd just do this live, because I did mean to do it yesterday. Now, I, as you know, or for those that have been watching, I've been doing a starter system, which is a acrostic for a starter for getting up uh, and running again after the lockdown, but something that can... Um, you can use after it anyway now i haven't done an online course before so for me this is a little bit of an experiment but what i'm hoping to do is to summarize the various sections of what a business construction business pro property developer contractor or subcontractor might want to think about coming out of this situation or also 
within this situation. So, yeah, so it's kind of a revision one for me. So I'm running through it. And if you've got any comments, please let me know any other things you want me to cover or anything points that I've covered that weren't clear or things that you think I could go deeper dive on or explain. Because what I'd like to do with the starter system, having gone through it over the over the past week and the next few days, is to really get some feedback around what people are concerned about, what people are worried about, what companies are worried about, what problems and challenges that you have in terms of maybe your marketing, your training, your contracts, agreements, and your payments. And today I want to talk about remuneration, which is the payments part of it. So I spoke about S, uh, the first S of starter being around your marketing and sales, because it's sometimes something that we don't really have systems for as business owners. And I kind of found that out the hard way. So we don't really do that. So it's something in this downtime, this quiet period, that you can start to think about. Uh, it's something you could step up your marketing and sales and how you can start to identify your ideal client, your niche market, and how you can start to build relationships and start to qualify your clients and start to pre-qualify yourself as a business to your clients. So it's something that you could start in this period. Then I talked about training and how you can use online training to promote your business, to inform clients how best to appoint you and how you could structure your internal training and programs to uh, align with your marketing. So everything in your business is structured. So you've got a system, not only internal systems for delivering your product or service, but you've got a system, a whole business system, which is around continuous marketing and sales. And then I talked about agreements, uh, contracts that you might be involved in at the moment. And uh, a lot of contracts are on standstill. There's a lot of legal debate going on at the moment around, you know, what various clauses mean in this particular pandemic, particularly around force majeure about um, determining contracts and payments and responsibilities for different things. Uh, how you what the remedies might be and I talked about standstill agreements and heads of terms and how that can work and today I want to talk generally about payments in construction and as those of you who might know me you know this is a bit of a hobby horse of mine I do believe that payments in construction is very very antiquated the system is antiquated I believe that the procurement systems are antiquated in terms of payment so if you're a developer or a client, and I tend to work on quite often on client side and procuring contractors and procuring works, procuring supply chains as a PQS. And um, one of the things a lot of clients do, they entrust the cash flow management to a main contractor. Now, many main contractors manage cash okay, but they are fundamentally, their expertise is about building projects, building buildings. They're not accountants, they're not cash flow accountants yet. We tend to put a lot of pressure on them to manage accounts, manage cash flow, when at the same time we're driving costs down, we're, we're, we're driving margins down. So there's low margins and low working capital in construction, pretty much as employers, we're driving that through competitive tendering. So quite often when, uh, uh, you yeah, know, I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times, 
uh, when we get tenders back, the clients in their uh, documents uh, are asking the main contractor to identify their overheads and profit. And of course, there's the declared overheads and profit, and then there's the real overheads and profit. Now, declared overheads and profit is something that, you know, the builders know that they're going to be uh, um, scored on. So on a large project, they might declare 5% you know, ridiculous amount, 5%, with the amount of risk that they carry out, that's not the profit they make, but that's what they declare. Where they're driven to make their money is through their suppliers, their supply chain, and through, sometimes it might be cash farming. It's about that. They're flabbergasted. They think, really? My money goes out of my project. Yeah, it does go out of your project. That's intentional. And I'm not saying all contractors do that, but I can tell you that it is going on, it does go on. And one of the reasons it has to go on because a contractor is running a business, he needs to make a profit. And cash farming can make up to 20% of his turnover in a year. So the, the, the practice of driving costs down isn't necessarily to the benefit of the client. And what a client really needs to do is to keep the money in his project. One of the other reasons money goes out of the project is due to other demands on operational costs of the contractor and the supply chain businesses. Now, the money generally get, if you're not using a project bank account, the money will go into the main contractor's uh, main bank account where everything else goes out of as well. So there's gonna be demands, other demands on your cash if you're an employer with the, to go, that, that cash goes out of the project. And also how many times has employers and developers lost money where they paid the contract, the contract has gone bust before he's paid the supply chain. That means that the, you, the developer is left with a debt. So there's big issues around the way we manage cash. You know, so we pass cash from, from the employer, from, well, actually from the lender to the developer, the employer, down to the contractor, that cash gets passed to a subcontractor, that subcontractor then passes it down to a sub-subcontractor, then that subcontractor passes it down to suppliers, and money passes through so many different hands. And that's a risk, that's a high risk. And I think this close down, this shutdown, uh, the, the lockdown period, will be a catalyst for change. And I think that Construction punches way below its weight in wealth creation purely because of slow cash flow. So you can imagine this is what happens traditionally is that the money passes hands. So each payment period gets longer and longer and longer. So those at the bottom of the food chain have a longer payment period than those at the top because they're trying to manage. There's no working capital. So everyone's trying to juggle the timing of the payments. That makes the exchange of money much slower. It makes the generation of wealth much lower because the faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows. And it's, you know, that's got to be a good thing for speeding up the cash flow in construction in order to create wealth in the economy. Now, what's going to happen when everyone comes back to work is there's going to be high cash flow pressures on contractors, subcontractors, developers, etc, etc, etc. And some of them may not be as solvent as they were before. So there's there's uh, re-pre-qualification that might need to take place. Are you still in a condition that you can carry on with the work? 
you know. And I, I think that a lot of contractors and a lot of subcontractors are going to be struggling, to be honest. And this is where I think a client could come in. This has got to be led by the, at the client level. And one of the things I'm talking to our, our clients about is speak to your lender, your development financier, where the funds are coming from for the project. Can you... Uh, can you uh, negotiate different terms and revised or or refinance the terms upon which your um, your, your project is is based? But also, can you link up a direct investor to supply chain payments? Now, this is a very interesting concept, whereby the contractor and the subcontractors carry on and do the work in in, in accordance with the original contract and do their certification, their valuations, and get to the point where the payment is certified, so the work's been done and the quality is up to the right standard. But instead of the contractor passing money down the line, the money, once that certificate is received by the recipient, or the promise to pay, or digital payment obligation, whatever you want to call it, once that certificate is received, the invoices received up the line from subcontractor, sub-subcontractor, subcontractor to contractor, and the certificate is passed down the line. Once that certificate is received, the investor, the financier, releases the payment direct to the supplier or the contractor or the subcontractor. So payments get paid from the bottom up when the work gets done directly rather than having to pass through hands. And it also means you can bring your supply chain. Now, this is the key thing. You can bring your contractor back. You can bring your supply chain back. You can bring the guys with the expertise who know the project back, even if they haven't got any money, because the people will be there. The skills will be there, but the cash flow might not be there. So what are you going to do? How can you deal with that situation? So one way of doing it is to direct, direct to supply chain payments. That way they come with their expertise, you make the payments on the basis of the work done. So it's just one little thought, one little way in which you might be able to keep your team if there's pressure on cash flow and to build that team up. There's a big lesson here. When you look at cash flow in a business, it can become a complex matter, particularly in construction where payments are going outside from side to side. So they may leave and come back into a project, which we want to avoid, by the way. You know, so a direct financier to supply chain payments keeps the money in the project, stops it leaking out. But then there's the... Um, the complexity of the operational costs of each player within the uh, within the project, and also the how you measure uh, cash flow status, and it's a it's a complex matter, and I think it's something that we can look at in more detail on future contracts and make it easier for all the parties to win in a project without putting pressure on them, without having to drive. Um, overheads and profit profit margins down because if you drive the project mar margin down for a main contractor believe me you're driving them down even further for a subcontractor so we want to get away from this race to the bottom i think we can do it and still make 30 percent saving on projects and secure the profit margins of each of the players in the in the game but it needs an expertise an overseeing expert on managing the cash flow for the project rather leaving rather than leaving it up to the ability and the individual expertise of the individual number of companies that are involved in the project to organize a, their own cash flow and link that into the project cash flow
So there's a lot said. I could I could talk about this a 